In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, you may recall that our Lord was once approached by ten individuals, all suffering from the same disease, seeking his miraculous intervention to cure them. Ten lepers, desiring to be cleansed from their illness, were once made whole, whole by the sole word of Christ, as he did for many other individuals. Notably, he worked similar miracles of healing for the sick son of the faithful Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman who refused to stop calling after him, even as he tested her faith by initially refusing a healing. But there is something different about the event of the healing of the ten lepers, a detail that should not be overlooked in one which touches upon the divine constitution of the Catholic Church. Rather than say to these lepers, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole, or some other such phrase, our Lord tells the lepers, go show yourselves to the priests, and they are healed on their way. Show yourselves to the priests. The Son of God, who could effortlessly heal these individuals without even speaking a word, should he have so desired, nevertheless chose to work this miracle through the intermediary of God's sacred ministers, the Jewish priests. In our time, the priesthood is a much misunderstood institution. There are calls from some corners, for example, Protestants and bishops of the Catholic Church in Germany, for it to be changed fundamentally in ways which are simply not compatible with what the church has always taught, such as by, for example, admitting the ordination of women. According to some, the priesthood should even just be done away with Altogether, the church would be better off without this archaic institution, they say, holding it back. But the reality is that those who hold such ideas have failed to understand something essential about our Catholic religion and even our human nature as it re relates to God, our Creator. For a priest is first and foremost one who offers sacrifice to God. The term sacrifice, in its technical sense, signifies a gift to God perceptible by the senses as a visible manifestation of our veneration for him with the object, the goal, of attain, obtaining communion with him. And there is a further condition. The thing which is offered must also be destroyed, either by shedding its blood, by burning it, or by pouring it out. Sacrifice and priesthood are so inseparable and so essential to man's communion with God that they go back to the origins of the human race. After the fall of our first parents, we see Abel, the pious son of Adam, offering a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. Also in the book of Genesis, the holy forefather of the Jews, Abraham, builds an altar of sacrifice to God. Even after the spread of many false religions, the pagans before Christ were not totally deprived of, of any authentic religious instinct whatsoever. In all of these various cults were found priests and sacrifices offered to the gods. It should come as no surprise then that God saw fit to institute his own priesthood 
in the true religion before the coming of Christ, that of Judaism, and to institute it is the essential means by which sacrifices and prayers would be properly offered to him, by which sins would be forgiven and sinners reconciled to him. And it is clear enough from the epistles of the New Testament that the Catholics of the early church believed in the real presence of our Lord and the sacrifice of the altar and that the Holy Eucharist was indeed, is indeed, a sacrifice. St. Paul, for example, says in his epistle to the Hebrews, we have an altar whereof they have no power to eat who serve the tabernacle, that is, the Jews who had rejected Christ and continued offering the sacrifices of the old covenant in the temple. There is clear evidence as well, uh, as well of the priesthood being, uh, being taught to be a spiritual power conferred on a man's soul by the imposition of hands in the New Testament. St. Paul, again, tells his disciple St. Timothy, stir up the grace of God which is in you by the laying on of my hands. Or in, in the epistle of St. James, what, what advice does St. James give regarding the care of the sick? He says, let him bring in the priests of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick man. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he be in sins, they shall be forgiven him. What do we see in both, concretely in both of these examples, dear faithful? A visible symbol, either imposition of hands and a spiritual grace conferred. A visible symbol which effects an invisible grace. The very definition of a sacrament. All of this was, of course, foretold by the prophets. Isaiah speaks of the conversion of the pagans to the true religion in saying that the Lord will take to himself priests and Levites from among all the nations, no longer limiting their ranks to just those of the Jews. And the prophet Malachi foretells a clean oblation or sacrifice which, we, which will be offered to the Lord throughout all the earth from the rising of the sun till its setting. The most perfect Old Testament figure of Christ is found once again in the book of Genesis, before the formation of the Jewish nation, before the Jews were a nation, a people, in the person of Melchizedek, who is described simply as the king of Salem and a priest of God. His sacrificial offering to the Lord is that of bread and wine, prefiguring the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It is therefore quite fitting that the Council of Trent insists on the intimate connection of the sacrifice of the Mass and the priesthood, saying sacrifice and priesthood are by divine ordinance so inseparable that they are found together under all laws. Since therefore in the New Testament the Catholic Church has received from the Lord's institution the holy visible sacrifice of the Eucharist, it must also be admitted that in the church there is a new, visible, and external priesthood into which the older priesthood has been changed.
There is still another reason it pleased Almighty God to institute the ministerial priesthood of the new covenant. But it has to do with our human nature. A priest administers the sacraments in persona Christi, in the very person of Jesus Christ, as the theologians say. When, for example, in the sacrament of penance, the priest pronounces the words of absolution, it is, in effect, it is really Jesus Christ who pronounces these words through the lips of his priest, who is sitting there in his place. Our Lord knows full well that we are weak and given to discouragement. And if, after his departure from this earth, he would not have remained right there next to us, in a certain sense, he knew that we would greatly risk falling, falling away from the path of salvation. So he has left us his very presence in the person of his priests, who really bring him to us. Now, many Protestants, especially self-described evangelical or born-again Christians, find much to criticize in our Catholic doctrine of the ministerial priesthood. They would have us believe the entire structure is nothing more than a medieval relic bent on bringing the ignorant masses into religious submission. They will frequently cite St. Paul to try and demonstrate that the entire concept of having a human mediator between God and us is unbiblical. When the saint said, says that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. But the question they can never answer is, what prevents our Lord from granting men a certain share in his mediation, which remains dependent upon his one mediation? Moreover, have you ever asked someone for their prayers, for your soul, or for their intentions? Well, if you have, you are entrusting them to mediate between you and God. These same individuals also have little use for the sacrament of penance. These born-again Christians, so-called evangelicals, well-intentioned and full of many virtues many times, though, though they be, they often in, believe in the doctrine labeled once saved, always saved, according to which all you have to do once in your lifetime in order to be saved is to accept Christ into your heart in a short prayer as your personal savior, asking him to forgive you all of your sins. And then, no matter what sins you could commit afterwards, no matter how heinous, your salvation would nevertheless never be in jeopardy. The doctrine which flies in the face of any and all concept of justice, of any common sense of reason, and one which flies in the face of all of our Lord's many admonitions to avoid sin and to do good, the good, lest through our sins we fall under condemnation and into hell. There is no, there is no denying that it would be the easier option to not have to confess our sins to a priest who remains like anyone else, weak and a sinner. Confessing one's sins is often a rather humiliating and tedious affair. But remember the words of our Lord about taking the easier way. Enter ye in at the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and there are many that go in thereat. How narrow is the gate, and how straight the way that leadeth to life, and few there are that find it. As Catholics, we belong to the religion which was founded by Jesus Christ himself. And thanks be to God, we have no need to go in search of the narrow road. We know where it is. It is constantly pointed out to us. We already know the way to our heavenly homeland, and it is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to the church he has founded. Therefore, always offer ourselves in our entire life to him in union with his perfect sacrifice, which he now offers on all the altars of the world through the hands of his priests. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.